0: thank you that you have loved us so much. Lord, it is the delight of our hearts to tell you back, Lord, how much we love you. And we pray that this would be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear, oh God. Lord, we, we bless you this morning. We give you praise, living God. We, we honor you. And give you glory. morning oh God in Jesus name amen amen please be seated it is great to have you along this morning as we continue our our journey together that this weekend this is our penultimate session pastor Peter Lord will be back up uh, after our our little break and this this morning um, there's in some ways this is an incredibly simple message. Uh, my mind, uh, I- if it's not simple, I won't get it myself. And so um, we're, we're on this, this journey of of trying to identify permanent things that we can cling to in times of transition. And so yesterday we identified four of these markers, four things that help us perpetually being able to, to, to navigate these transitional times. Um, wait Russ? There's a ringing kind of deal going on. I don't know if we can alleviate that at all. That would be helpful for us. Is that better? Yeah, it sounds a little bit better. Is that right? Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you, Russ. So y- yesterday we, we looked at four things. You remember the four things, four lenses that we put on to interpret, the moment or the time that we're in and these all the ways work regardless of what kind of transitional moment you find yourself in we looked at a theological perspective a christological perspective an ecclesiological perspective and a missiological perspective we looked at the godness of god he is sovereign and he is omniscient he knows the deal the beginning from the end and he's running the show we looked at Jesus, he is Lord. We looked at the church. He's building his church. And we looked at the mission of God. He has sent us to the lost, and he has sent us to the nation. And these things are perpetually true regardless of whatever it is that that we're going through. And so this morning, I I want to identify one more sort of keystone, one, one more sort of permanent marker that will help us navigate transitional moments and this one is is a bit more qualitative that that speaks to our hearts the 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 ones that we looked at yesterday were a bit perspectival they're they're like lenses that you put on that shape your perspective or how you view things and this morning we're after letting God shape our hearts just a little bit and so I've called this one permanent practices all you need is love Um, I don't know if anybody Raised Your Hand Yesterday for the 1960s, but it's a Beatles song from the 1960s. All you need is love. And so take a look at this picture here for just a moment. You know, when the Greeks were teaching rhetoric, how to speak, they they talked about that the speaker, um, there are three core dimensions. There's logos, ethos, and pathos. Logos speaks to the very words that you say. Pathos speaks to the the feeling, the conviction, the, the the strength with which you're saying it. You have to believe this thing that you're saying, and then ethos, the character of the person. And so, if you want to be a good communicator, get all three of those right. Say the right stuff. Say it with passion, and let it be consistent with your character. And so, the Greeks said, if you you've got those three things, then you're you're, you're going to be a good communicator. But we also see these these three things as really core dimensions of what it means to follow Jesus. Um, there is truth, there is experience, and there is there is character. Um, and so when we – when we all of this framed or moving around the centrality of the cross, you know, the song that we were just singing, this is amazing grace. You know, I love this. If, if millennials are singing this, because right in the heart of that song is – The statement of the gospel this is amazing grace that you would take my place on the cross that you would give me your life every generation has to refresh and rediscover and dust off and come back to the cross that's the heartbeat that's the centerpiece of who we are and our faith and so that song is teaching us how to live in the gospel but we see that cross speaks to three different dimensions So there's a truth dimension that if we're going to follow Jesus, it has to be according to the truth of God's word. We don't have the freedom or the liberty to invent our own truth. We've got to come back to what God has given us. But if we're genuinely embracing truth, it's going to shape our experience. The other side of that is that we determine legitimate experience by the truth of God's word experience is not an unhinged category it has to be shaped by character and truth and as well if we're encountering truth it's going to shape our character who we are as people and so when we come to Christ we do it on the basis of truth we we have genuine experiences with God and it also shapes our character now what's interesting about churches sometimes and maybe even perhaps our lives. And you can think about your your home church that you're part of. Sometimes churches can tend towards one of these poles. And so some churches are are like truth churches. Others are like all about the experience. And then some have high ethical standards and really, you know, it's about character and and obeying the ethical dimensions of the gospel. And so you, you end up with something, for example, like the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is an amazing document chock block full of solid biblical theological truth however in this amazing document the word love is completely non-existent now how do you do that how do you frame so much truth and miss this word love you can be incredibly right and still wrong and so this morning we want to be right and right. We want truth, but we also want to let God shape us in this, this experience of, of character and our, our, our spiritual experiences and character and, and who we are. And so we're going to go to the words of Jesus and look at some permanent practices regarding this idea of love. So Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Would you read this? Me. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Do you believe that? Yes. yes? So what we're asking God this morning, this is one of these permanent things. We're asking God to build in us a heart of love. Incredibly simple thing. Yes? It's just a four-letter word. Surely we can master this. Right? Love, can we do that? Yeah? So before we go through just just take a moment. You know, Pastor Peter's a, a genius at leaving us with these three or four minutes at the end of his sermon where it's just utterly silent, and we're doing business with God. Um, do, do this, but before we go, there. just take just a moment and ask yourself, "What's your love factor this morning?" Just you rate yourself on a scale from one to ten. What's your love factor? Now, keep this to yourself. Don't don't say it out loud just just think about it. you know are, are you struggling are you weak are you a one or a two are you about a five or a six or are you the personification of love are you up there around nine or ten so we're asking God wherever we are we want to take a step forward this morning so this is uh, this is Jesus teaching about love this is what he said and behold a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying teacher, what shall I do to inherit? eternal life. Now, we could pause right there and just comment on the fact that this, this, this teacher is already confused. This idea that, that doing can lead to inheriting presupposes a, a non-relational, a, a, a non-father-son thing. Sons inherit because of identity, who they are, not what they do. And Jesus sort of passes over that, and he says, well, what, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now, several observations we can make about this. Um, First of all, what a beautiful, beautiful bit of scripture this is just reminding us these are the simple foundational non-negotiable things number one loving God with all of our heart soul mind and strength number two loving our neighbor as much as we love ourselves now both of those are a bit challenging and difficult aren't they how many of you think the first one is more difficult loving God with all of your heart soul mind and strength who thinks that one that one's more difficult Nobody? Nobody? How many of you think loving your neighbor as much as you love your... Yeah, that's where I am. Exactly. Why? Because we have to live with each other, don't we? Uh, Yeah, we bump into each other's imperfections. And so the first bit of that, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Look how Jesus right there is building in these these three dimensions that that we looked at. First of all, we're loving God the Lord with all of our heart and with all of our soul. That's that pathos dimension, that we love God emotionally. We love him genuinely. We love him with all of our hearts. We also love him with our strength. That's the experiential dimension. We love him in obedience. And we love him with our minds. We love him with truth. We love him in the way that we think. And so that's our heart attitude towards God. That's how we love God, with the totality of our being, and the other side of that is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, this, this teacher is getting this out of the Old Testament law. He, he's quoting a couple of Old Testament passages. And Jesus answered him and said, do this and you will live, which is an amazing thing for Jesus to say. Because he's basically saying, look, if you are doing these things, it means you have tapped into the very nature of God because God is love. And so if you're loving him with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbor as yourself, you're reflecting this eternal life that is the very Trinitarian essence. And well done you. So we could just stop right here, couldn't we? And this could be like the shortest CBU sermon ever. Just go home and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And do this and you will live. Amen. But this story doesn't stop right there, does it? Because we're just like this lawyer. This hits us so hard, we want to wiggle out and find a way out of this. So let's read, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Um, so here's, here's a picture of what Jesus has outlined for us. This is, this is heartfelt, genuine Christianity, loving God with all of our heart and loving our neighbor as ourselves. This is the great commandment, the core of following Jesus summarized right here so the rest of the story this this lawyer described but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus and who is my neighbor that's that's a profound little statement he seeking to justify himself said who is my neighbor we are geniuses geniuses. We could give each other five-star medals. We are geniuses at self-justification. We are a number one amazing people at finding ways out of this thing that Jesus just taught us, and that's what this lawyer is trying to do. Here is his self-justification. Self-justification delimits the sphere where love is required. So this is really dark. I don't know if you can see this, but on, the, on your left, there's a big circle, and then on the, the right, it's a, it's a smaller circle. And so what this lawyer is, do, is is trying to do, when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's trying to draw in this circle or this sphere of saying, well, that doesn't mean everybody. There's a, a smaller dimension here where I'm going to find a comfort zone. And so he's saying, not everyone is my neighbor. And I'm not required to love everyone. Because our tendency is to love who? Ourselves. Ourselves. And if we are going to love anybody else, who are we going to love? Your kids? People like us. People like us. We surround ourselves with people like us, and we love people like us. And so this self-justification tries to delimit the sphere where love is required. And so we go from everyone to less than everyone self justification says i really don't have to love everyone and so at the time this lawyer would have understood this i understand this idea of loving jews my neighbor would be other jews if you're a first century jew there in galilee where jesus is teaching so okay so who's my neighbor, he was wanting Jesus to say, look around you, it's the other Jews around you. So by default, this guy's assuming, I don't have to love Gentiles, surely not, because that's unclean, I'm sure not going to love these half-breed Samaritans. Those guys are whacked up, and if you remember the history of the Samaritans, it was, the Assyrians came in, shipped off the northern kingdom, and then repopulated that area, and so some who had been left got intermarried, and they set up their own temple, and it was a mess, and the the, the, the pure Jews looked at them as intense racial hatred. and They just despised them. They were theologically unorthodox. They were just some messed up people, those Samaritans. So this lawyer, no Gentiles, no Samaritans. He's wanting Jesus just to say, look, just love the Jews and just love the people of God. Love those who are in a covenant relationship with God and you'll be fine. But Jesus doesn't let him off the hook and neither does he us, does he? Here's the rest of the story. Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers and stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. What a beautiful, a challenging but beautiful story. He went on and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set, set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And so we've got the characters here. We've got priests and Levites, these guys who walk by and ignore this man who is in need. And so these are the guys who are the inside. These are cultural insiders for this this man who's there half dead and, and left on the side of the road. These are the guys who, number one, they embrace religious orthodoxy. Their theology was completely accurate. And they were ethnically and culturally in line with the guy who was there on the road. And yet they're the ones who passed by. Now, the Samaritan here, he's an outsider. They're religious syncretists. They, their theology was messed up. Their jo- doctrine was wacko. And they were ethnic and cultural half-breeds. And so Jesus is riding in. It, it's, it's difficult for us and, and cosmopolitan 21st century Black Mountain to put ourselves in the place of these first century Jews hearing this. This was utterly challenging. Jesus is making the hero of the story somebody that they despise. Now, when I used to teach the parable of the Good Samaritan in Ukraine, you know who the Good Samaritan was? A Russian. Because the Russians were devastating to the Ukrainians. I mean, they... the. Stalin did this policy of russification. I mean, they they would surround cities and starve them. And then once everybody was dead, move move Russians. I mean, they're just incredibly murderous in the way that they treated this nation in Ukraine. And so a lot of Ukrainians just despise Russians. And still, of course, still today, Russia is trying to take over eastern Ukraine. And so there's centuries of animosity there. And so in telling the story, we just kind of write in. Well, this good Samaritan, surely he he was a Russian. But for these these first century Jews, the priests and the Levites, the, the bad guys in the story, they're the insiders. The Samaritans are the outsiders. Now look at the actions, the priests and the Levites, the insiders. They ignored the need of this man. But the Samaritans, the religious syncretists, he had empathy, he had care, and he shared personal expense for someone that, who despised him? I mean, this man who was left there on the side of the road, <laughs> if, if, he, if he wasn't half dead, he probably was. not no, please, please don't you. You're a Samaritan. I, I don't want help from you. Go, go find a good Jewish boy to take me to the hospital. I really don't want that from you. But, no, he's the one. He had empathy. He had care. He had expense. So Jesus brings it home and says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now, I happen to believe that Jesus is the greatest teacher ever. And his teaching is not only true, it's utterly challenging. And if I'm honest, this challenges me to the core of my being. Because look what Jesus does. When we're trying to draw a circle around who's our neighbor, Jesus doesn't even play that game. He doesn't tell us, here's the circle that is your neighbor. What does he tell us? You go and be a neighbor. The question the Samaritan asked was, who's my neighbor? The question that Jesus asked was, who proved to be a neighbor to this guy that was left half dead? So the wrong question is, who's my neighbor? The right action is be a neighbor. Now, just to bring this to a, to a conclusion and identify uh, a few key lessons that we can extract from this. Number one, love is always in style. It doesn't matter what transitional moment we find ourselves in. If, as the church of Jesus, we want to win, we have to lead with love. If we're not leading with love, we're not going to win. Leading with love is what we have to do because love is always in style. Sometimes we have to lead with love, not truth. If you remember the first diagram that I put up there, truth and experience and character, love is going to be located in that, that character zone. Now, I, I love doctrine and theology. I'm a theological kind of guy. I'm very comfortable leading with truth. But that's not always what's going to win because sometimes people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. If we can learn how to lead with caring, then they might one day be interested in learning about the truth that animates this love that we actually have. And then, number four, we don't control who we encounter, God is sovereign. You know, it's an amazing thing. That this, this, first of all, you know, in, in the story, I mean, this guy is just on his way to, to to Jericho. He didn't plan to get end up there and get beat up. It just happened to him. And then these these this priest and this Levite, they didn't plan to find a, a, a guy on the side of the road. It just happened there. And you know, Jesus just writes this into the story. These are like random things that have happened, and we we can't control wha- who we encounter and what opportunities we're going to have. And so what is it that we can do with this? What, what does this mean for us? I mean, this is, this is a very simple Bible lesson, and I have told you absolutely nothing so far this morning that you didn't already know when you got up and walked in here this morning. Um, but if you think back, and we rated ourselves in these love dimensions, you know, we, we, we come in, and Paul leads us in these beautiful songs, and we sing these heartfelt songs towards God, and we might be up there seven, eight, nine, or ten in the way that we can love God, and, you know, we love worship, but then when we look at it, this horizontal dimension, we realize, wow, Lord God, I need your help in loving. Here's the deal. We love because he first loved us. The power to love the way that God wants us to is rooted in this thing of living in the gospel. The power to love somebody else is found when we remember how much he has loved us. And this is at the heart of the gospel. You know, when we wake up in the morning and we think, well, how am I doing today? How are you doing today? Blessed and very much so. That's how you're doing. You're blessed. And you're, why are you blessed? Because God first loved you. God loved you so much that he stepped into human history when he didn't have to. God loved you so much that Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law on your behalf. He loved you so much that he bore in his body on that cross every sin you have ever committed. He loved you so much. He was raised from the dead. And he did all of this simply out of love. And so by basking in this identity of how he has loved us, we're empowered to love each other. So as we close here, what I'd like us to do is just read this Read this together and then We're going to close in prayer and ask God to to help us with this. Would you stand with me this morning as we read 1 Corinthians 13 together and ask God to refresh us in a spirit of love? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind, love does not envy or boast. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Amen. Let's go to God and just help him, ask him to help us love like he loves.